This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. With the second pick in the 2021 NBA Draft, the Houston Rockets select Jalen Green. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep getting better every day. I'm going to keep perfecting my craft. And every time I step on that floor, I'm coming. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, the best and only daily podcast covering your Houston Rockets. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and partner at Apollo Media. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, as well as at Apollo HOU. Now, I was uh, a bit under the weather uh, to wrap up the weekend. I don't know if it was food poisoning or what, but um, I'm back right as rain. And just as I was on the men starting to feel better, I had to... Uh, sit through a, what was it, 31, 30 turnover performance by the Houston Rockets. Um, so then I just, I fell deathly ill right after the game. No, um, you know, a lot to talk about from this game. There is some good to take out of the bad. And, you know, we're going to get into, get into all of the different angles from this game against the Toronto Raptors. Again, Rockets falling 107 to 92, largely what became an end to end blowout, unfortunately, uh, really, kind of the, the main crux of what happened in this game was the Rockets could not hold on to the ball to save their lives. They they turned the ball over seemingly at every opportunity. It felt like at points like the Benny Hill theme song should just start playing because the Rockets had, you know, would have multiple turnovers on a single possession or turn the ball over and then immediately come back down and turn it over again or get a steal and then turn it back over. Uh, you know, it's hard to overcome any game where you turn the ball over 30 times to the tune of 32 points for the Toronto Raptors, right? I mean, they were, and there there were some points where they were actually like kind of clawing their way back into this game. Um, and so you look at any of the different variables at play here, the fact that they didn't hit a single three-pointer in the first half, the fact that they had an atrocious number of turnovers in the first half. I mean, maybe the flow of this game is just a little bit different if a couple different things break a little bit more evenly for the Rockets or if they just don't cough the ball up as much, that kind of thing. But credit to the Toronto Raptors. Their suffocating defense, the the guys that they have on the floor from Precious Achua, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, Gary Trent Jr. I mean, their, their entire starting lineup, solid to plus defenders, guys who have a lot of length, who are very physical defenders. And even, right, you know, I saw, you know, some people online complaining, you know, oh, that should have been a foul call, right? The Toronto Raptors, along with the Miami Heat, which was, you know, the, the second preseason game of the season, Rockets struggled against those teams because those teams play really hard-nosed, physical, intense defense. Even though it was a preseason game, right? Both of those both of those teams came out and made the Rockets feel uncomfortable, right? Had them kind of playing on their heels, that kind of thing. And the reaction, right? The the response from both Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green, not exactly what you want to see out of those guys, right? They they didn't assert themselves against the defense, right? And I do think that. For KPJ, he struggled in the first half. You know, abs. Both Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green absolutely, you know, struggled in this game. I, I do think KPJ came back out in the third quarter and, you know, kind of approached the game a little bit differently. Found a little bit of success in that third quarter. He was uh, not scoreless in the first half, but didn't hit a single shot in the first half. I think he had like three or four points on free throws and was 0 of 7 from the floor. And then in the second half came out and hit a couple threes, hit a bucket, you know, had 
about eight points, I think, in that third quarter. Um, and, you know, found a little bit of success in that third frame. But Jalen Green only attempted six shots in this game. And to, six shots to go along with seven turnovers. And I think that I was really hoping coming into this game that this would be the game where Jalen Green put it together, both like his inside game and the outside game. Because we saw it in the very first game against the Wizards where he couldn't get a single three-pointer to fall, but he was, what, four of eight inside the arc? You know, looked really good driving to the rim, finishing at the hoop, that kind of thing. And then the inverse happened in the Miami Heat game where he struggled against the physical defense of the Miami Heat, struggled getting the ball inside, but was raining, you know, hellfire from beyond the three-point arc. So I was really hoping this would be the game where... JG was able would be able to couple both both aspects of his game and, and have a really solid all around performance. And instead, we got neither of them. Right, he struggled shooting the ball from outside, just one of five shooting from beyond the three point arc, and only attempted one shot inside the three point line. So, I, I do think that there was a little bit of, you know, it, it was it was tough for KPJ and Jalen Green to kind of deal with the physicality of the Toronto Raptors defense. And I think that the th the reaction that I would have wanted from Jalen Green or from, from the coaching staff would be to run some more sets to get him some opportunities where he is getting these screens where he's able to kind of get some separation from the Toronto Raptors defenders. And we saw a few of those. We saw a couple sets early in the third quarter, right after halftime, where it felt like the Rockets were deliberately trying to find ways to get Jalen Green the ball, either, you know, curling off of picks and getting him set up for, you know, some spot, some catch and shoot opportunities from behind the three point line. Um, but I do think that that was not the response that you'd want to see out of Jalen Green. Kevin Porter Jr. said post game that the Rockets didn't even shoot enough, right? They only attempted 33 pointers. That's well below their, their usual number. So they, they were taken out of what they wanted to do by the Toronto Raptors defense. And they were being run off the three point line. The Raptors were crowding them. Anytime they, they got the dribble penetration that they wanted and they were able to get right to the rim, they were collapsing hard on whoever was there, whether it was KPJ, whether it was Jalen green, Jay Sean Tate, didn't matter who it was. Christian Wood. They were collapsing and double or triple teaming guys, forcing these turnovers, forcing bad passes out to the corners, things of that nature. And so you do have to give credit to the Toronto Raptors defense. But I do think that there was a level of aggression that was missing on Kevin Porter Jr.'s behalf in the first half, at least. It kind of, you know, turned it on a little bit in that third quarter. And then especially from Jalen Green. Right. Where there was a level of like almost passive, you know, passivity, passivity, passivity um, that came from those two guys. Because, again, Kevin Porter Jr. spent the first half of the game kind of really working to try and get others involved. And there were times where I felt like he was almost overthinking his play, trying to make the, you know, focusing on making the right pass instead of just reading and reacting to what the defense was giving him. And with KPJ, he's a guy that has to rely on his threat to score the ball to help facilitate for others, right? And I think that's where a lot of his playmaking ability comes from is he is such an elite threat to score the basketball that creates opportunities for his teammates elsewhere when he's able to collapse the defense. And I think at times he was just looking for the pass rather than looking, okay, I'm going to you know see what I can do to try and score the ball. And if the defense collapses on me, that's when I'm going to try and create something you know for one of my teammates. And then for Jalen Green, so many of his turnovers were just passes that were either just a little bit 
off the mark or just didn't have enough juice to, you know, behind them or, you know, he just telegraphing them a little bit. Again, I don't want to say, I don't want to say lazy passes. Um, but I do think that he was a little bit, I'm going to say a little bit shell-shocked. I think the the Toronto Raptors defense really took him out of his rhythm, what he wanted to be able to achieve. And in a way, he didn't you know respond to that the way that you would hope, right? Maybe go back in at halftime, get a pep talk from Silas, come out guns blazing in the third quarter, really trying to find a way to, to take it to the Toronto Raptors defense. And instead, we didn't get that. You know, we got six shot attempts from him, seven turnovers, and that's okay. Right. There's going to be games like this. There's going to be growing pains for this backcourt as they get accustomed to each other and trying to deal with defenses that are going to be completely game planned to shut them down. So as far as other other aspects of, you know, what caused the Rockets to struggle, you know, there were points in this game where the spacing was a little bit questionable. Certain sets looked really good. Others didn't. Um, and we're going to dive into some of those in just a moment. But I wanted to kind of hit, you know, hit the ground running with why the Rockets struggle in this game. They they turn the ball over an excessive amount. It's hard to overcome that that deficit when you turn the ball over that much. And then as far as you know, some of the other numbers from this game, uh, what else do we have? Uh, I mean, fast break points. The Toronto Raptors got out in transition. You know, a lot of these turnovers for the Rockets were live ball turnovers, and those are absolute backbreakers. They're killers, right? Dead ball turnover. You can set your half court defense. You can get guys in the right position. But those live ball turnovers, you know, when you've got to pick up guys in transition, if you're not stopping the basketball, which the Rockets failed to do a lot in this game, uh, the Raptors had 35 fast break points to just 11 by the Rockets. Um, now, the, the Raptors turned the ball over a steady amount too, right? The Raptors had 21 turnovers, only nine fewer than the Rockets, but the Rockets only turned those 21 turnovers into 16 points as compared to uh, the Raptors who doubled that margin and scored 32 points off of the Rockets' 30 turnovers. So the Rockets also weren't capitalizing when they were able to force turnovers uh, for the Toronto Raptors defensively. They weren't capitalizing on said turnovers, which is an important part of any defense that's forcing those turnovers. So wanted to hit on those key points and and talk about Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green right, right off the top. Uh, again, I do think KPJ came back out in that third quarter and found a little bit of success. So it's good to see that he was able to kind of bounce back a little bit within the same game rather than just having a whole game where he absolutely struggled. And I, my final point on this before we move on is, you know, how many times have we seen or ha had we seen, you know, James Harden struggle in a half, right? And then turn it back on in the second half or uh, have a really strong first half and then struggle in the second half. I mean, you know, I can pull up the number here. How many times do we see James Harden, you know, have some turnovers and, you know, go 0 for 7 and a half? Um, let me pull it up right here. It says a lot, right? It's going to happen a lot. These are There's going to be growing pains for Jalen Green and for Kevin Porter Jr. Just three games ago, KPJ dropped 25 and 5, right? So... I don't want Rockets fans to start freaking out about the capabilities of this backcourt. I've already seen some fans, you know, trying to say, oh, this is this isn't the backcourt of the future. Jalen Green, KPJ, it's not going to work. Need to find a real point guard. Cool those takes, right? Just pump the brakes a little bit and have some patience and let these guys grow. That's my main message right here at this point. Now, I do want to dive into some of the bright spots from this game. We're going to get there after a quick message from our friends over at Sleeper. Because in 2018, the fantasy sports experts at Sleeper realized that fantasy basketball was broken. Games were being won and lost based on whose players uh, had more scheduled games that week, which isn't fair, right? It made no sense and required very little strategy. So in 2020, Sleeper released a brand new way of playing fantasy basketball. It's called Game Pick, and it's only available on Sleeper. In Game Pick, owners pick a single game per week for each of their starters to count towards their team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. 
minutes. Sleeper cracked the fantasy basketball code. Whether you play fantasy basketball, football, if you prefer building out a weekly strategy versus daily busy work, you're going to love game picks. Download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball going over the Rockets third preseason game falling 107-92 to the Toronto Raptors. Unfortunately, we cannot tout a Jalen Green over Scotty Barnes win, although we did see postgame Jalen Green, Josh Christopher, and Scotty Barnes all embracing. Uh, they go they go way back and those guys you know, showing a lot of love to each other. Uh, sharing sharing that photo on social media and stuff. So that's always that's always good to see, um, despite the Rockets getting spanked by the Raptors. Um, now, I do want to focus on some of the the bright spots from this game. Now, this was a night in which the Rockets did not have Eric Gordon or Daniel House Jr. available to play. Uh, they also, Stephen Silas said pregame, that they were going to be focusing on playing the young guys significantly more run in this game versus the veterans. And they did just that Daniel Tice playing only 16 minutes in this game. And then DJ Augustine off the bench playing only six minutes in this one. So definitely a lot more run for the younger side of the Rockets team. Now I do want to say on the Daniel Tice front, if I see him continue to take mid range jumpers, uh, I am going to be, I'm going to be absolutely furious. Like, especially there was one mid, there was one midi that he took where he was literally like he had, you know, he was like a step inside the three point line. And it's one thing. I think there's like a certain breakdown, right? We're not still in the MDA era. We're not. But the fact of the matter is long twos are still bad basketball shots. They are. And even, even, you know, 15 to 18 footers, bad basketball shots. The only, there's only a couple guys on this roster that I am okay with taking those shots. And it's only if they're taking them in the rhythm and flow of the offense. And it's more so to get themselves going than it is because they're good shots. And that's Kevin Porter Jr. And Jalen Green. If, those guys are working to break somebody down off the dribble, isolation, one-on-one, whatever, and they can get to their sweet spot and get to a step-back midi and drain it, and that kind of gets their rhythm going, and then they're able to keep cooking after that. Absolutely, let's do it. Daniel Tice has no business to be floating around in the mid-range area and catching and shooting mid-range shots. It doesn't make any sense, right? If he's going to catch the ball in no man's land, right, in that, in that you know, 15 to 18 foot, 15 to 20 foot range, then he needs to catch that ball off the roll and then continue to take, you know, a power dribble or a dribble or two towards the rim and try and continue to collapse the defense, right? There's no reason for him to be catching and shooting those mid range shots. That said, he, you know, has a decent release. I want to see that release from beyond the arc. That's all I'm going to say. I just want to hammer home that point. But let's start with, uh, I want to start with Jay Sean Tate because Jay Sean Tate getting the starting nod with no Eric Gordon, no Daniel House Jr. in this game. So Jay Sean Tate as the starting small forward, which, hey, this has been the lineup that I've been championing that I hope we see, you know, for the long term with the Houston Rockets. And even though the Rockets got off to a bad start in this game, going down by as many as nine to zip to start this one, it felt like the flow in the offensive unit was a little bit better with Jay Sean Tate than it was Eric Gordon or Daniel House Jr. Um, I like Jay Sean Tate in the starting lineup. I think he gives them a different look. I think he gives them another playmaker, another option to kind of facilitate out of the post a little bit. Um, somebody who's not afraid to pick up the ball and really move it in transition, but in a different way than Eric Gordon and Daniel House Jr. do, right? Like I feel like House, when he goes off the bounce, 
he is more looking to create for himself than he is to facilitate and playmake for for his teammates. Whereas Jay Sean Tate, even though he walks away with only one assist in this game, finishes the night with 10 points, four boards, one assist on five of seven shooting, didn't attempt a single three-pointer, unfortunately. I think that he is actively able to get further into the teeth of the defense, right? He's just a bigger body. He's able to kind of bully ball his way past some of those defenders. And once he gets inside, he's got that array of pivots and spins. And we've seen him time and time again, have these little dump off passes to bigs, or he's got a good, you know, a good feel for the, you know, the court and where his guys are to be able to kick the ball back out to an open three point shooter. Once he gets that deep into the defense and starts collapsing guys. And we saw that on display in this game. It's just the Rockets could not buy a basket from beyond the three point line going 0 for 10 in the first half. They got some good looks from behind the arc. They didn't get enough of them, unfortunately, and they didn't hit any of the ones that they did get. So if they even shot like a paltry, like 30% from behind, from behind the arc in the first half, they'd hit three of their 10 attempts, then it would have been a, a nine or a 10 point game at halftime instead of being an absolute blowout. Right. Or if they, again, they maybe turned the ball over just a little bit less in that first half, then things would have felt a little bit, a little bit better. Um, so a couple things break a little bit differently, and we're talking about a completely different looking game as opposed to the the end to end blowout that we actually got. But I do like Jay Sean Tate in the starting lineup. I think that there are some spacing issues when you look at this starting lineup, and it's felt like there's been spacing issues even with the other guy, even with Eric Gordon, even with Daniel House Jr., who are better shooters than Jay Sean Tate. It feels like there's a spacing issue when Daniel Tice is on the floor. And I think a part of that is you can't run the offense through the high post with Daniel Tice, similar to how you can with Christian Wood or with Alper and Shingun. And then not only that, but Tice has this, you know, he has this habit of, again, kind of floating in from the three point line and, you know, kind of clogging up that mid range area a little bit at times or it could be, you know, and there are times where defenses also aren't honoring him from the three-point line where the defenses are kind of sagging in and it's crowding any potential driving lanes for the Rockets. So things opened up for this Rockets team when they subbed out, uh, I apologize, when they subbed out Daniel Tice and brought in Alperin Shingun. That was the first substitution off the bench for the Rockets in this game. And they were absolutely clicking. They went on an 11-4 to run. Uh, the Raptors were up what 15 to four, I believe it was. Yeah. 15 to four. And, uh, the Rockets went on a, a burst to catch back up to them. As soon as Alperin Shingun was subbed in because Shingun and wood, I think are able to play off of one another a lot easier. Uh, and, and Shingun is able to facilitate for everybody else on the floor much better than what Daniel Tice is able to do. And I'm not sure that there's at least right now, and I, we're three preseason games in, right? But the Shingun agenda is going strong because I'm not so sure there's that distinct of a drop-off from Daniel Tice's defense to Alper and Shingun's defense, whereas the difference on what they're able to do offensively and how all those pieces kind of click looks a lot better on that side of the court than it does with Daniel Tice, unfortunately. Um, you know, I was arguing, and I've argued multiple times now, that I could see uh, that I could see Alper and Shingun starting uh, by the all-star break or by post all-star break, depending on how his development goes. And maybe we might need to expedite that, that's that process because Steven Silas, I asked Steven Silas post game, you know what he thought about the Christian Wood, Alper and Shingun pairing so far. And he really likes it. He said, both of those guys are versatile. They can both play and facilitate out of the high post. 
and they play off, they can play off of each other and make life easier for each other because they're so versatile, because they can both play on the perimeter, because they can both put the ball on the floor, they can create for others, and it makes it really hard for defenses to game plan against that. Whereas, again, with a Daniel Tice out there who doesn't have the offensive bag that Christian Wood or Alper and Shingun has, it makes defenses, it's a little bit easier for them to kind of game plan and funnel and trap other guys and leave like Tice as like their open guy, right? If they're, if the game plan is they're just going to leave Tice open for three, cool, they're okay with that. Or leave Tice open for a mid-range jumper, cool, they're okay with that. Um, it becomes a little bit harder to do that with Shingun sharing the floor with Christian Wood because he's able to create. And we saw his, we saw his playmaking chops on display again in this one. He only walked away with two assists, but it's because the Rockets could not... <laughs> buy a basket for the majority of this game. But Shingun off the bench had 10 points on three of six shooting was four of four at the charity stripe, had five rebounds, two assists and a block and only two turnovers in 18 minutes of run. And again, he checked in and the offense looked worlds different for the Houston Rockets. The moment he checked into the game and unfortunately, you know, it didn't stay that way as they were continuing to make more substitutions. Uh, KPJ Jalen green really struggling to, you know, facilitate the ball, pass, pass the ball successfully. Again, the, the Toronto Raptors defense, you have to give them credit uh, for clogging those passing lanes, for playing really aggressively, really getting like, I mean, they were like inside the jerseys of the Rockets players, really being physical with them um, at times, probably getting away with a little bit of excessive contact. Right. But it's a preseason game. I'm not going to sit here and complain about foul calls. It's just man up, right. Muscle up. And you know, if you gotta, if you gotta drop a shoulder into somebody and let them know to back off you a little bit, create a little bit of space, you do that, right. You need to get, you need to punch back. And that's what Steven Silas said post game as well is the, the Rockets need to punch back when, you know, dealing with a physical team like that. And they didn't do that in this game, unfortunately. Now, I do want to talk about some of the other elements from this game as well as one more bright spot for the Houston Rockets, one Armani Brooks. And we'll get there after a quick message from our friends over at betonline.ag because look, football is going strong. It's back and better than ever for both pro and college football. BetOnline has you covered. They've also got you covered for NBA, MLB as we're going through the postseason, uh, NHL, UFC, MMA, you name it. They've got it over at betonline.ag. They've got a new updated site and interface, more odds, props, and contests. They are the number one source for everything betting that you can imagine. So head over to their website and sign up today using promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code locked on L O C K E D O N for a 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Again, bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports bet online where the game starts. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Before I get to the man of the hour, probably the, uh, yeah, probably the brightest spot out of this game um, because I have been fighting this cause, uh, banging this drum for a while, and I'm going to continue to do so until uh, Rafael Stone makes it right and makes it so. But before I talk about Armani Brooks, uh, I do want to spend a moment on Christian Wood because I do think that, you know, Christian Wood has, I mean, received uh, some some criticism uh, from our our good friend of the show, uh, Roosh Williams, and you know, based on his on his free throw shooting, on on his style of play. But uh, you know, how do you how do you look at his at his game in this one and be frustrated with his play? I think that you have to be kind of content with how he played in this one. I, I feel like maybe you'd like to see a little bit more 
uh, ability on the defensive side of the ball, but I think that everybody's kind of been a culprit of this. When I was t- asking Jay Sean Tate about it post game, you know, I said it seems like there's you know moments throughout the game where there's a bit of hesitation or confusion about who's supposed to switch where and and who's picking up who in transition. And um, he basically said those are just you know things that have to get ironed out with actual game reps, right? That over time, um, you know, those things are going to get better. They know the schemes, they understand what they're supposed to do. It's just about actually going out there and doing it. But even, you know, throughout points in this game, right, you see, especially when there's the double big lineup in there with Wood and Tice or Wood and Shingoon or whoever, and there's a bit of confusion as to, okay, like you're picking up him, I'm picking up him. And, you know, guys get stuck on the wrong guys, uh, you know, in transition. And then that leads to some easy buckets or they're just flat out leaving guys open sometimes on certain switches. Um, so defensively, you know, would like to see a little bit more out of Seawood. But then offensively, I mean, he shot six of 12 from the floor, six of 10 inside the three point line, um, you know, everything right in and around the rim. Uh Ultimately, I still think that Christian Wood is so uber talented that he makes life a lot harder for himself than he needs to. Uh, like, I really would like to, and we saw this part, you know, throughout some of last season, right, where he, so much of his offense was being generated by, you know, isolating from the three-point line and driving in. And then we saw some sets where he would actually get the ball kind of on the low block and be able to face up from like 15 to 18 feet. And take only like one or two dribbles and get to the rim that way, as opposed to having to start from all the way out on the three-point line. And I do think that there are opportunities for him to create some easier offense for himself or for Steven Silas to create a little bit of easier offense for the entire collective unit. And I think they're still trying to figure that out, right? There's some spacing issues involved in there where, again, maybe you could just run like exclusively Kevin Porter Jr., Christian Wood, pick and roll and see how that looks. Uh, and they've run some sets like that, but they've also been running some sets where uh, Christian Wood gets the ball on the wing and then Kevin Porter Jr. comes off of a screen by Daniel Tice and then Wood lobs the pass right over the screen. KPJ gets it going downhill towards the rim and then Tice gets an you know a beautiful alley-oop, right? So I still think they're working on running certain sets to get others involved and not just exclusively focus on the big three in Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood. And I also think they're working on those read and react sets where Steven Silas said, you know, pretty early on, you know, in preseason that he's not going to be sitting there calling plays every time down, that he wants to see how these guys react to what defenses throw at them and how they're able to adjust accordingly rather than just running a designed play every single time down. And there's a very distinct difference you can tell versus, you know, between when they're running a set play, like the one I just described where lob or where, uh, Daniel Tice got a beautiful lob straight to the rim versus a play where they're just kind of reading and reacting. And I think that in this game, a lot of those, a lot of those forced turnovers came out of those uh, plays that were not designed sets, right? Where the guys are having to read and see what the defense is doing and then react accordingly. And that's going to take some learning to do, right? That's going to take some practice and actual game reps for these guys to get accustomed to how defenses are going to uh, adjust to what they're trying to do offensively, where they're going to, you know, kind of force them to what areas of the court they're willing to concede, what they're not. And again, Steven Silas could come down and just call a play every single time. Right. And the offense would probably look a lot better than it did at points in this one, but he wants to grow the players and get them comfortable making their own decisions at times. That way, you know, it doesn't just have to be him play calling over the entire stretch of a game. Now, again, Christian Wood. I come away thinking he had a solid game, right? You know, nothing crazy to write home about. 13 points on 6 of 12 shooting, 7 boards, 2 assists, 2 blocks. Uh, But I don't know how you can be upset about that game from Christian Wood, right? Um, Maybe you expect a little bit more out of him, uh, a 20-point night maybe, um, as the 
arguably maybe the best player on the floor for the Rockets currently um, remains yet to be seen what's going on with Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green, whether or not they eclipse Christian Wood, but from a, a sheer talent perspective, uh, maybe you'd like to see a little bit more. Maybe you'd like to see more reps, more touches for C. Wood. Uh, but right now, everybody kind of getting some even distribution as we're going through preseason. And I fully expect that to change. Once the Rockets get into the regular season and guys are playing their normal minutes load, you know, 32, 36 minutes a night, running a 10, maybe 11-man rotation uh, where there's actual – you know, a, a clearly defined depth chart on the bench unit. Um, Christian Wood, Kevin Porter Jr., and Jalen Green are going to be getting the majority of shot attempts for this Rockets team. So, you know, we're going to see Christian Wood getting easily probably 20 attempts a game uh, instead of just 12 like he got in this one. So that brings me to our final guy I want to talk about, and that's Armani Brooks, um, who stepped into this game and hits more than half of the th- the successfully made three pointers for the Rockets. Again, the Rockets were just nine of 30 uh, for just 30% from behind the three point arc. That's not right. I suck at math and I know nine of 30 isn't 30%. Uh, Is it not 30%? It's not right. Yeah. 10 of 30 would be 30%. No, 10 of 30 would be 33%. Oh my God. Okay. We're just going to pretend that didn't happen. Anyways, uh, this is why I shouldn't ever crunch numbers live on the pod. But point is our money books had five of those nine three pointers. And I've been banging this drum for a while. Armani Brooks deserves a roster spot. He does because this team has a distinct lack of shooting. It does. You know, Kevin Porter Jr., until he can prove over like a quarter of a season or a half season stretch that his shot is fixed and that it's consistent and above like a 35% mark, I'm not going to count KPJ as a good shooter, right? He had a stellar night in preseason game one, and then he went two of six in this game. So... Jalen Green has struggled from beyond the arc so far in three preseason games. There's hope that he's going to be a, you know, that the G League numbers will translate and that he'll be a solid to above average three-point shooter at the NBA level. But, right, we got to see it actually over a consistent period of time. We can hope that he's going to be a good three-point shooter. Christian Wood was a good three-point shooter last year. But Daniel Tice, a below-average three-point shooter. Jay Sean Tate, until proven otherwise, a below-average three-point shooter. Eric Gordon has struggled with his consistency from behind the arc. He's a volume shooter, sure, and he can get hot, absolutely. But the Rockets don't have, like, certifiably solid to good three-point shooters. Alperin Shingun needs to work on his outside shot. Usman Garuba, same deal. Like, I can go down this entire roster and point to so many players where the three-point shot is an absolute question mark. And for that to be the case, they need a shooter on this roster, somebody that they can just plug and play and say, you know what? The spacing kind of sucks right now. We need to give KPJ an outlet. We need to give him a couple weapons on the wing to try and facilitate to, uh, you know, to and have, you know, a target that can actually hit some three point shots. And Armani Brooks is that guy. There's nobody else on this roster that I would trust more currently than Armani Brooks to sink a wide open three pointer. And that's, that's facts. That's the truth. So whatever the Rockets need to do, whatever moves they need to make, I mean, I'm torn because Dante Exum is an interesting piece. And while I would love to see him stay long-term on this team, eventually, I mean, the Rockets are just at a point where they've got too many players signed, too many bodies accounted for. And I, you know, there's a lot of people who are, you know, clamoring for a trade, you know, saying, oh, we'll just get get EG out of here or get Daniel House out of here and clear up a roster spot. It's also tough when you've got John Wall just sitting on the sidelines occupying a roster spot. Um, They have their two two two-way spots, unfortunately, 
dedicated currently to uh, Tyler Bay and Anthony Lamb. Do the Rockets move on from one of those guys and give Armani Brooks a two-way spot? I would hope so, but I also genuinely believe that Armani Brooks deserves a full-blown active roster spot. And right now, uh, based on the contract that Dante Exum signed and the fact that they waived Kyrie Thomas to make room for the Seco uh, Dumbaya trade to basically pick up a second round draft pick, I would not be shocked if Exum is the guy who occupies that final spot for the Houston Rockets on their 15-man roster because of the contract that he already signed. That said, it would be very disappointing if Armani Brooks, you know, either doesn't make the squad at all or doesn't at least make it to a two-way spot because I would take Armani Brooks over Tyler Bay or Anthony Lamb at this point on either of those two-way spots. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at, where I'm at right now. I want to see him continue to get a crack at this rotation um, and not just a roster spot, right? Like it's tough to say. I want to see him get actual rotation minutes because again, you're only going to have a 10 to 11 man rotation during the regular season. But when you've got that level of shooting and we've got that solid, that, that quick release, the understanding and ability to move off the ball as well as he does to get to his spots and to have the confidence to hit those shots with ease. Uh, the Rockets need a guy like that on the roster to be able to open things up for other guys, to be able to open things up for Kevin Porter Jr., to open things up for Jalen Green offensively because we've seen there's points where the offense looks a little clunky because the spacing is a little off because they don't have guys who are just knocked down three-point shooters lined up across the three-point line to where, oh, open shot, great, they're going to drain it, right? There's not guys like that across this entire Rockets roster. So being able to have somebody like that in Armani Brooks is critical, and I really want to see them make the right move when it comes to him. Those are my initial takeaways from this Rockets-Raptors game. We've got three preseason games in the books. We've got one more coming up later this week against the Spurs. We'll have plenty of episodes between now and then. And hey, the NBA season is right around the corner. We are eight days away from the start of Rockets basketball officially uh, on the 20th against the Minnesota Timberwolves on the road. That's going to be an incredibly fun game. Uh, I'm looking forward to the start officially, the official start of, of Rockets basketball. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, but for today's episode, that's going to do it. As always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.